war on drugs. I mean, yeah. you look at what's happened since the war on drugs. It's been, I would say, the the most complete disaster of government intervention that of anything. Um, mm-hmm. Because not only do you have all the money that's wasted, all the lives that have been, that have been ruined, and not just the people that have been thrown in jail, but the families, and then generationally, the generational impact from that, it's it's immeasurable to even try to figure that out. And then on top of that, you have you know the addiction skyrocketing, and now with the pandemic, of course, it's even more so out of control. So that's, I mean, that's there has not been, I don't think, a greater failure in this country of government intervention than the drug war. Yeah, the, the drugs clearly have won. And it get hot. I got a lot of, I got hairy legs that turn, that, 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 that turn uh, uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down. So it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. With your host, Mike Paul. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. And I love kids sitting on my lap. Or is it jumping on my lap? What does he say? Uh, and I love kids sitting on my lap. Or maybe it is jumping. I don't know. It is jumping. Yeah. effect. Like, what did Biden <laughs> say when he was talking about the kids rubbing his legs and uh, and uh, under the water? Um I just, I still can't believe that clip is real. You know, it's like if he was, a yeah. Republican, it would be like the only thing anybody ever talked about. Uh, I mean, on the left and of course, both sides are hypocrites. You know what I mean? Like when you talk about the, uh, like your average cable news viewer, whether it's like CNN or Fox, it's like, you know, whatever their guy did, it's defensible and whatever the other person did, they're scum of the earth. And in reality, it's, it's just, he's a creep. You know, I think, I don't know if there's any hard evidence of anything uh, worse than that. I wouldn't be surprised, but we just know if, if I'm just looking at Joe Biden, like as a guy, like if he was a, you know, just a guy you knew from like, it's your grandpa's friend or just uh, some old guy that hangs out at the gym that, you know, when you, when you get to a certain age for weightlifting gyms, you just must walk around the locker room naked, you know, and they carry a coffee. And I think that uh, Joe Biden is probably that guy if he wasn't in politics. All right, we got Brian McWilliams joining us. So real quick before we bring him in. So Brian McWilliams is one of three hosts of the very popular Lions of Liberty podcast. Um, so him and John Odermatt will be joining us tonight. Um, unfortunately, no Mark Lair, but uh, hopefully we'll have him in a future episode. So I'm going to bring by, uh, Brian in right now. Yo. Hey, Brian, how's it going? It's right. I always have to. I have to reconfigure my body to the Streamyard framing that's going on here. <laughs> hey, Mike. Hey, Nick. Good yeah. to see you guys. Good to good to meet you over this yeah. virtual yeah. environment. You too. Yeah, so man. we're just uh, waiting on John here. We're just uh, we're just gonna roll till John gets here. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm bringing the thunder anyway. John is uh, he's more of a hanger on. If you've seen the motorcycle and the sidecar, John is the sidecar. I'm the motorcycle. And uh, at any point, I could just run him into a wall and, you know, lose that barnacle and the show would be totally fine. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Yeah, the the dominance hierarchy here. So we'll see how that shakes out. But Uh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a real knockdown uh, slobber knocker. Um, Yeah, you you know, you mentioned Mark. Mark could not be here tonight uh, because he's working. But uh, again, you know, what do you need past this guy? Although I have been sick, so it's good to have some other people coming in here because I'm going to be coughing. I'll have to <laughs> see. There you go. I've been sick for like two weeks. It sucks. 
<laughs> that are quarantine talking about this yeah. I don't know how much of it uh you heard while you were in the waiting room but mike and i were talking about joe biden if he was not a politician like my vision mm -hmm. of joe biden, if he wasn't a politician i said he would be that guy that is at like your local weightlifting gym that just hangs out in the locker room and just walks around naked carrying a cup of coffee and just talking to the younger guys oh I totally totally i love i love that analogy man and actually i'll tell you a story <coughs> excuse me I used to work out at Gold's Gym in Venice in Los Angeles. And uh, <laughs> there's this guy who literally would come in. He kind of looked like an old, I don't know, like a beatnik jazz musician is the best way I could describe him. But just old and crusty, you know, kind of like a little bit of, of the dark black Jewy fro hair and the beard. Kind of looks like he could have been a music producer in the 70s type of thing. And this guy would come in with a little doohickey, like a thing you'd strap around your arm, except he would carry it in his hand listening to music, and he jazz dance around everybody in the gym, stopping to speak with everyone that he passed. And I think that could be our Joe Biden. I think you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nick Nick made a great point on our last podcast. He said, because uh, we had Matt Erickson, who's the co-host of the Jason Stapleton mm -hmm. program. And um, he was Matt was bringing up the theory that potentially he's not even sure Joe Biden still exists. He could have died and have an active fight <laughs> in him right now. Which he goes, you know, it's 2020. But, I mean, um, literally, uh, Joe Biden looks like, have you ever seen Poltergeist 2? Uh, I can't remember, the Poltergeist thing? Probably not. I might be dating myself, but it's basically yep. this old. Yeah, no, I was saying, I, I think I saw the Poltergeist 2, like, when I was, like, 15, but not since then. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's like, you might remember the scene, especially if you're younger. It's like the only scary scene in the movie is when this old, crusty preacher comes to the door and he just looks decrepit. He's got the liver spots. He's got, basically, he's Joe Biden. Uh, as in an acting role, somewhat somewhat more decrepit. But yeah, why would we not presume that Joe Biden's dead? I mean, he <laughs> moves kind of animatronically right now. Get some Imagineers behind that shit. I mean, Paul McCartney of politics, like he might have actually died yeah. in like 1992 and they replaced him. And it's like, he's a perfect fit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you say you say Paul McCartney of politics, but I'm going to say Led Zeppelin of politics. And I love Zeppelin. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> they both base their entire career on plagiarism. Um, intro. Wait, <laughs> okay. Go. Back. I I remember reading something about the Zeppelin thing. Is this the stairway oh. where they said they supposedly it's, ripped off stairway to heaven? It was a lot of, a lot of songs, unfortunately. I mean, they took like, the lyrics of old blues songs verbatim from like the 30s and 40s, and they yeah. just repackaged them. Now the difference is Led Zeppelin would plagiarize and make something way better, and Joe Biden would take something and then just make it you know just cram it full of gaffes and stumbles so that's but also <laughs> also like led zeppelin um they give horrible live performances vocally like robert plant so you know you just break into a Jimi hendrix song in the middle of a zeppelin song you know, stuff like that so you know but uh yeah at least the one redeeming quality of zeppelin is they they rocked so they <laughs> joe did. biden's like all the worst parts of led zeppelin um without any redeeming quality <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, it's funny how much people like, like used to think Joe Biden was so interesting and clever and funny. And like, you know, people really thought he was good in public. And it's been so exposed over the years. It's shocking to think like how he ever became this charming figure to the left. I mean, at some point, was he considered good looking? You know, there were different standards for attractiveness when he was probably at his prime in the uh, in the Senate. <laughs> it's it boggles my mind to think that somebody couldn't see through the facade of idiocy and realize that at the gooey core, he has always been a moron. But I guess we'll yeah. get plenty of opportunities to see that, presuming <laughs> that Trump does not win, which I know Matt is very convinced that he was. Or yeah, he we, did. We, we spent two hours uh, unpacking that last night. And I, I told him I was like 2% uh, 
chance that Trump could win. And by the end of the conversation, he got me to almost 45%. But I was like, I'm yeah. still skeptical. <laughs> but I, you don't know. I think there might be a little bias because you talk to him about it. You know what I mean? It's like you, right. whenever somebody talks to you about something that you kind of like wish for, they can really sell you on the idea. You know what I mean? And I'm, yeah, I'm not exactly. saying I'm not knocking Matt because he's like very diligent about all of his research and he brings the receipts. But I just think that the obstacles that Trump has to overcome with the machine that he's going up against are just too great to actually do anything about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to think half of it is uh, Odie says, by the way, he's got a computer issue, but he'll be on soon. He texted me. Um, yeah, I have to think half of it is just like it, most of these people, especially establishment, whether you're a judge or a politician, at some point, you probably just like, you know what? I don't I don't give a shit. I mean, let's who are we kidding with these people pretending they're on opposite sides for the most part? Trump, I will say, is on his own side and that's Trump's side. But everybody else, they're all playing for the, basically the same team. So to pretend that they don't just want to get past this, to get back to business as usual, where they can you know, WWE wrestle in public and then go back and get drinks and bang hookers and, you know, and dump their bodies in the river in private is ridiculous. Like most people that are working within the government structure and the establishment just want to get past it. You know, anything else is kind of theater, uh, which is why you see so many on the GOP side capitulating and just saying, ah, we're not going to say anything about the election recounts. We don't really care anymore. Now, uh, Mike, do you, or John, you are with us now. I, I'm with you. Yeah. Sorry. I was right. uh, tardy, tardy to the party, but I came in on a uh, Brian McWilliams rant there. I felt right at home there listening to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, one question I have for you guys, because on that topic that we were just talking about, and I've heard a few people raise this question, is when it comes to all of the establishment Republicans that are kind of uh, abandoning Trump right now and saying, like, oh, we need to respect the results of the democratic process and all this stuff. Do you think, because when you look at the polls of the number of uh, Republican voters that do not trust the outcome of the election and don't see it as legitimate, do you think that they're going to remember who their representatives are come 2022 and vote these people out of office? And do you think that those politicians, the Republican senators and congressmen are worried about it? Well, I don't think, you know, you do have your, your typical, like, you know, diehard establishment Republicans like the Mitt Romneys and, and those types who are, you know, saying that Trump, Trump should concede. But I mean, for the most part, your typical Republican, your state senators, at least at least uh, from what I've seen, I'm in Pennsylvania, um, your local Republican Party, they all think that the election was stolen and they're backing Donald Trump. So. I mean, for, from that perspective, I, I mean, I don't think those people are going to ha have any repercussions. Um, someone like a like a Mitt Romney or I mean, I know there's several governors, Republican governors, like the governor of Florida, Kemp, who uh, is not exactly cooperating with Trump. But I think, for example, like someone like uh, Governor Kemp in Georgia, he's he's screwed. His, his political career is, is over after this, for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. I mean, the question is. When you look a couple years down the road, right, let's say Trump is out of office. These people that are in 2022 running for office, is it even going to be an issue anymore? And like I said, are people going to remember and go after them? I don't know. It may get so far down the road that people say, you know, Trump's too toxic because God knows what kind of scorched earth he's going to go out on. You know, like, I mean, I'm hoping it's a, a wave of pardons for Snowden and Assange and everything else. But he may sour so many people with some of the shit that he does going out of office that he may be just nuclear toxic. You know, if, I he think was, office, if he goes if out of office, if he goes, if he goes, yeah, if he goes out of office, <laughs> I like to, I hope that God can please, I want to see Trump in a bunker, like Adolf Hitler, you know, hold up <laughs> down there with Melania and he just, just goes out. And although I want him to go out more like Butch Cassidy and Sundance, I don't want him to shoot himself in the head. I want him to charge out into, into a, a hail of bullets. Um, but 
yeah, I don't know. I mean, as far as whether Trump's going to leave, whether he's got a chance, I still think he's got a shot. As I said on my show, I don't think it's a very big chance. I think that the, the Supreme Court, I guess, is going to hear the Texas case and uh, and hear Texas what they and, they're and seventeen other states. I saw that. Yeah, I saw. Did they officially sign on though, or are they just saying, "Well, we back it"? I'm not sure. Yeah, I, so thought, I saw that. Yeah, the headlines were a little misleading. It said, you know, umpteen other states join Texas. So it, it doesn't right. say if they're just saying we support it or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I'm wondering because right. if they all sign on officially and whatever they, their attorney generals all joined up, then that's something I don't think the Supreme Court can turn down. But I also saw that apparently they had put it on the roster. I saw some story today saying that as of like 3.50 uh, or not or, or not 3.50, like 3 p.m. on uh, a date, I think roughly like a week and a half from now, that's when they were going to come to a decision. But again, whether or not that's really the case is hard to tell. Yeah. So regardless of who uh, comes out on top from this election, where do you guys think this uh this new media that we have is going where big tech censors everything that opposes their uh their narrative um corporate media obviously is so in the tank for one side as well and you know youtube everything's just censoring any voice of opposition that's very concerning to me i don't think that's getting enough airtime um as far as how much people should be concerned of uh, tentative uh state-run media I was just going to say it's, it's super concerning and just came out today that YouTube is going to uh, delete or not air any videos that mention, you know, that dispute the election result. So they're saying that it's been finalized. And if there's any videos out there that are uh, saying you know, something to the contrary, they will be removed from YouTube. So it's I mean, I, I don't know. I, I have no, no idea what to expect. I mean, we've kind of been starting to hedge our bets with uh, Alliance of Liberty with our Facebook group and, and that type of stuff, uh, just sort of expecting it to kind of go away and putting some backup plans in place. So we need to do a lot more work in, in that department. <laughs> but I, I have no idea where it's going to go. It, it doesn't look good. Well, I wonder with the whole Section 230 thing, you know, Trump had threatened to veto a defense spending bill if they did not address Section 230, which is what, you know, gives the you know platforms like Facebook and uh, I guess Google and YouTube that kind of, okay, we are a we're not a publisher slash curator. We are a platform for other people to come on here. So we're not controlling the content. So I wonder if that, let's say that 230 gets changed or altered in some way. I wonder if that's going to have any impact whatsoever on these big tech companies. I can't, I mean, for me, I, I like to think that it would, but I can't see it really having an impact because number one, I don't think it'll ever get through. And number two, I wonder if, okay, they go, or change it. Then we'll just consider ourselves a publisher. We've got enough people like, you know, logged on here that we'll just, you know, make ourselves into a magazine type uh, entity. People can still post here. It'll be a comment style posting instead of a, you know, hosted content site and kind of sure. alter the playing field in that way. You know, they'll find a way to adapt. It's like there's a bunch of idiots working there. Um, but it is terrifying what's happening. I mean, especially like Odie said, would the Georgia video of them pulling suitcases of votes out from under tables get air, you know, if you can't host it anywhere, if you're not allowed to upload it anywhere. So yeah, it's definitely worrying. and. From a libertarian perspective, I don't know. Have you guys talked about your take on it as libertarians? Because there's two sides to the coin, whether people want to say they're a private company, do what they want, or you mm -hmm. look and say it's gotten so big, the government's involved with data collection, et cetera, that they should, in fact, be you know regulated and, uh, and, and free speech has to reign supreme here because they are so linked with the government. I was going to make just a, a quick point, and that that's kind of the broader subject that, like, since COVID and really since the election, I've noticed this kind of split uh, with libertarians, even among like Misesian, you know, 
uh, libertarians where there's the kind of principled libertarian stance, which is like, it's a private company. Uh, they have the right to do what they want. And then the whole thing of, you know, we're not going to concentrate and grab power. We're going to stick by the constitution and, and this whole kind of like standing on your principles, uh, ideology where it's like the ends don't justify the means. And then there's been this more, I would say like Machiavellian strand, which guys like Matt and guys like Pete Canones have taken where they're like, Hey guys, if we ever want our ideas actually in place, we need to, you know, grab power and, and kind of consolidate power as much as we possibly can. And we can't play, we can't like hold ourselves to these principles and these standards that nobody else is playing by. If we ever want our ideas actually put in action. So it's like, do you want to do like this kind of intellectual masturbation thing where we just talk about how good our ideas would be in theory or do we actually try to do something and grab some political power? So what do you guys, and I think the the big tech censorship is a good test of that because today I saw that Facebook, uh, I think it was that Congress was saying that they want Facebook to like sell WhatsApp and Instagram or something like that. They're coming yeah. after them. And the principled libertarian in me is like, oh no, this isn't good. They shouldn't be using like antitrust stuff to go after companies. But then, you know, I have to admit that I was kind of excited by it and looking at Mark Zuckerberg with his robotic face just sitting there like he always looks like he just saw a ghost. It, it warmed my heart. So I'm of two minds of it. And I don't really know what I think the strategy should be moving forward. But what do you guys think? Just well, I think Mark Zuckerberg should buy OnlyFans and then anybody that objects, he could say free account, free premium content and OnlyFans <laughs> for anybody in Congress that, that votes the way I want them to vote. <laughs> Sorry, go to I was just gonna say it's always funny watching Mark Zuckerberg try to drink water. That's uh, like it's he's never he's never seen it before. <laughs> yeah, except his lips. Oh, interesting texture to this uh, coming out of this glass. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't. I would. I think I side more with Pete and Matt. Um, I, I don't know if I agree with you know, sort of describing it as Machiavellian, but the the way that I look at it, and I forget who said this originally, but I've heard it a bunch of different places that uh, the culture war is over. The left has won the culture war. They control big tech. They control all the media. And right now they're just driving around shooting survivors. So are we just, I mean, are we just going to walk outside our houses and get shot or are we going to fight back? It's, it's, I mean, I think it's come to that point. So, I mean, I'm not saying fight back violently, but, you know, I think we have to adjust our tactics um, well, because it is. It's, this is a war of culture and uh, we, we are losing badly. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, there is, and there is some efforts, you know, like uh, Talisia Nexus, has a program to try to get more libertarian content out there. I can't say I'm the biggest fans of what I've seen, some of what they've done. And I'm, you know, I don't know, not great in my opinion, but um, hope for the future in that reign. But it also like to your point, John, you know, the left plays by a completely different set of rules. And it's, it's obvious. It's not, you know, it's not even close, even compared to the GOP. They take no prisoners. They really have no moral qualms with doing some things that I would never in a million years say would be moral or uh, or right theoretically under any circumstances. But the ends justify the means for them. And you know, the Libertarian Party, we do get bogged down. Not that I'm advocating that we go out and start shooting people in the head or anything, but we do get bogged down in that. OK, we are we pride ourselves on being so utterly moral and sticking to these very specific facts and and uh, and principles that we can lose our way or it takes us so long to act on anything or decide what the messaging is or, or decide what to do in a certain circumstance to push back on it that we just end up doing nothing at all. While all these other people, you know, they've got their talking points so down on everything because it's, you know, it's robotically programmed into them from from birth, essentially. So. From the libertarian perspective, I do think that, yes, we need to start playing a little dirtier. I do think that um, 
you know, just like you, Nick, I, I'm I'm torn on saying break up these companies. I still think we don't need to. I think that the market will find a way to get in there and, and find suitors that'll take away those viewers eventually, especially as these companies get larger and start to censor it. I think they're digging their own graves in that regard um, with over-censoring content and blanking what people can see. So I don't think we have to worry too much about that. But I do think that we need as libertarians to say, okay, if we're going to win a war, we can't just simply abide exactly by the rules in which we've drawn up because the other side is absolutely not playing by those same rules. So you need to right. find some sort of adaptive cultural warfare in, in order to make some uh, some forward motion. Right. And, and Facebook and, and Google, um, they're, they're not private companies. I mean, they're, they're quasi private, but they're so intertwined with the government. They have their tentacles, you know, all... It, Intertwined with each other that, I mean, to, I think to call them private is, I mean, that's a bastardization of the word. Right. It's like yeah. calling the big three or the big internet companies, calling those private. It's like, no. well, no, you guys basically just made a bunch of artificial barriers to entry. So no competition can an, can right. enter now. And you guys are just monopolizing the industry. Yeah. Between the cronyism involved and the data, you know, again, teaming up for data collection, working with the FBI as Facebook does and all these big data companies do, the big phone companies do. They are virtually at this point, just extensions of the government and the worst parts of the government that we hate. You know, mm -hmm. it's all of the spying mm -hmm. apparatus and everything the libertarians are against that, uh, <laughs> that the government has their sticky fingers in. So what would happen if they if the government did come in and break it up and say, make Facebook sell WhatsApp or any of the other companies they own? Well, is there like a like a some sort of law that prevent them from going and just buying all the stock of that company again and absorbing it? I mean, is that is there something in the way that would prevent that from happening, or would they just reabsorb it? I think there must be some measures. I don't. I mean, I I honestly don't know how they how they go about specifically breaking up a company that's viewed as monopolistic like that. Mm -hmm. But I I got to think that there's measures in place so that they can't simply buy up the stock and get ownership again. There's probably some sort of you know it's like when you work for a company. And they've got the do not compete clause. I'm sure there's something like mm -hmm. that where it's a do not buy up my stock clause involved. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, but like anything, it's it's also, you know, these companies, even if they break them up, they've already gotten so big. Okay, you break Facebook off again. What's to stop Facebook, which is a, a massive entity from just buying up different competitors and boosting them through its own platforms to make them into this virtual entity again? I mean, mm -hmm. at this point, they've got the money to buy up any competitor that gets large enough. and you know, as free market capitalists, I can appreciate selling to Facebook. I would sell to Facebook right now. You want the Lions Liberty podcast? You want to cancel it? <laughs> Done. I'll sell it to you for $3 million. You can have it tomorrow. We'll, we'll start a new one. I don't care. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Welcome to Lions of Zuckerberg. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, as far as breaking them up, I don't even know what it would really accomplish. I think breaking them up doesn't solve the problem because like you said, they'll either buy other competitors or boost them up or, you know, or other competitors that aren't Facebook will snap them up and do the exact same thing again. So it still revolves around what's the next big thing. What's going to come in and subvert that technology or subvert them from being able to get ahead in that specific way, or just spreading the knowledge <laughs> that look, this is not a good platform. This is a platform that's poisonous. It's spreading bad ideas, censoring good ideas and selling all of your data to the government. So why the fuck do you want to use it? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's this thing with uh, the idea, especially it's popular on the left of if you just break something up, then the problem goes away. It's like when Bernie yeah. Sanders is like, we need to break up the big banks. And then it's like, OK, Bernie. And then <laughs> and then do, <laughs> do subprime mortgages just go away. You know, it's like do right. artificially low interest rates and, and, you know, fractional reserve. Do all these things just go away because now some other company or some other bank can fill this power vacuum? 
So it's like, it's, I think it's a more structural problem. And I think the social media, I'm, I'm more, you know, optimistic than ever that we really will see competitors and, and hopefully to things like YouTube. From my understanding, the reason we don't see a competitor to YouTube is because I don't know if I'm, I'm not techie enough to understand this, but like the amount of bandwidth and data and storage mm. and everything they have is the, the startup cost to compete with them would just, just be, you know, insurmountable for most companies. Well, there is BitChute, which is out there. and But again, to your point, they're not as big. It's hard to log on. It's hard to figure. You know, it, it's not it's almost not worth your time because growing it like you have to be part of growing it in order to you have to believe in it and really try to promote it and grow it to use it. But also, you know, Parler, that was something that, uh, you know, our buddy Remzo Martinez, he works over at Parler and they had gotten that big surge after, you know, Trump, quote unquote, lost. Um, of people going over there and Twitter started censoring all this content and censoring COVID news and all that. So they got a massive surge in users to the point where they could not have people upload complete profiles, uh, see other people's, well, I don't even know what they call them, par, parlots, whatever the fuck you call your par, status. Parlays, parlays. Parlays, yes, parlays. Um, and because of that, you know, they had a three-day kind of lag shutdown where people signed on all excited, but they don't have the backbone because they didn't expect that sort of influx of, of user base. And right. I'm sure half the people that signed up just went, oh, this fucking sucks and immediately left. <laughs> and, yeah. um, well, they do. Have, and I think Parler, it, it has a future and I'm hopeful. I mean, we're, we are trying to build, you know, our, our Lions of Liberty brand on Parler and having, having some good success, but there are, I mean, there's definitely some issues. I mean, it seems that the people that who I follow, who have the biggest audience, that's who I see. And it's hard to see like anyone else. Like, yeah, yeah, man. Um, I see only Ted Cruz fucking posts. on I go on parlor, <laughs> like a million Ted Cruz updates. Yeah. I started one just for this podcast. Cause I try to just, I mean, it's gonna be inevitable. We're gonna have to get on Facebook and Twitter, but we just like, why even go there? Cause you know, like we just watched Dave Smith's group get canceled, the inner circle. Yeah. And I was like, I, I don't even want to start building a community there. That was a big win gonna... for us. We really rooted for that. <laughs> <laughs> we were the one, we were the ones reporting all of his content. We're like, if we take Smith down, we'll be kings of libertarian Facebook. <laughs> See, that, we it, take down. We are libertarians too, but their stuff just goes all along with the leftist shit. Yeah, ah, libert- just kidding, uh, just kidding. Libertarians kidding, can't kidding. can't go fight any other fights because they're too busy to destroy <laughs> each other within. So <laughs> exactly, there can be only one libertarian. <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's what I see as the biggest problem right now is like if if we are going to be any kind of opposition to the cathedral and the establishment, it's like, OK, and, you know, Michael Malice talks about this in his book, The New Right. There needs to be some sort of galvanizing of people who just oppose the left and the machine, because, I mean, at this point, they're one in the same. I mean, any Republicans that are, you know, going along with whatever the establishment says at this mm-hmm. point and the cathedral in general they're they're rhinos they're republicans in name only i mean there's there's no real opposition i feel like at this point it's not even like libertarians see everything through the lens of government versus private and i think that's completely legitimate but i think the moment that we're living in right now it's more about the cathedral and the establishment versus the free people like that's that i like new york the new york times is a private company but as far as i'm concerned they're part of the exact same machine they're my enemy as much as you know the dea is yeah, it's more. I mean, I like the way you put it there, and I've I've heard it put. You know, it's it's kind of shifted from, uh, you know, libertarian authoritarian to uh, red pill blue pill, because I mean, there's plenty of libertarians who uh, you know, to take take the blue pill when they wake up every morning, and there's plenty oh, yeah. of people, plenty of plenty of Republicans who take the blue pill every morning. And of course, most leftists do, but there's some. <laughs> I mean, there's some leftists out there like Glenn Glenn Greenwald who uh, right. you know, they they attack you know, uh 
what they see and call out. Uh, he, he left his own uh, publication because they wouldn't let him uh, really do honest reporting on Hunter Biden, which was completely insane. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's good people everywhere. But yeah, I think it's becoming very apparent that there's the ones who are, uh, you know, backing uh, the machinery of of the state, of the cathedral, of the establishment, whatever you want to call it, uh, from whatever side they're on. Uh, there's plenty of libertarians who have heard make the argument and say, well, thank God Trump is gone. Now, um, you know, we have a reasonable president. We can get back to talking about policy and it won't be just all this nonsense back and forth. I'm like, you guys just totally missed the significance yeah. of the past four years. Yeah, uh, exactly, man. Yeah, there was, there was a meme going around. Um, and I, I forgot the exact words. Nick might remember it, but it showed uh, Kamala Harris's Twitter handle and it, it has her pronouns in it. And then <laughs> it, it says below, it's like... Uh, what was it, like Syrian children or village excited to be drone struck by first vice president <laughs> with pronoun pronouns yeah. in bio. <laughs> yeah. And then there was another one today where it's like, you know, it shows like the average leftist and it's like, but you elected a Raytheon uh, board member as your yeah. defense secretary. And he's like a black Raytheon board member. <laughs> you know, like, and, and it's, it's completely symbolic. I know Dave Smith has been talking a lot about this, but Right now, like we're seeing the the kind of like banking cartel and corporate America as as kind of a, a an olive branch to the left. It's like they don't want to deal with Occupy Wall Street and that kind of a movement against them. But they're happy to capitulate about diversity and all of these things that don't affect their bottom line. I mean, maybe they will at some point in the future. It's like right now, I know there's the whole like uh, go woke, get broke thing. And I think that applies to smaller companies. Like there, you see a lot of like, I think the NBA and NFL, not that they're smaller companies, but they started doing all of this social justice activism in their programming. And mm -hmm. I think they saw their numbers go down, down, oh, down, sure. down. The and NBA then the NFL especially. Yeah. And then the NFL took their foot off the gas completely. And it's like, yeah. now all they have are like the little things on the back of their helmets. Like, you know, it takes all of us, which what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, yeah, but, I, I'm curious to see what the uh, the future of the woke movement does. It's like, okay, are our companies going to see what happens when you get too ideological and devoted to this, or are they going to double down on their efforts in the culture war and try to just placate to the left in the establishment? I actually think, and this is something you know, I've got my, I I I'd, uh, tweeted out. I'm, I'm planning on doing kind of like a strategy for 2021 as far as what I think the Libertarian Party should do because I do communications for a living, but. You know, I'm thinking about the way in which Trump was able to draw all these black people to his side. He doubled the support that, you know, more than any other Republican in history, doubled support from black America, doubled support from Latin Americans, uh, men and women both. And, you know, that makes me wonder. And it also ties in. I was listening, listening to a Shelby Steele, who's like a filmmaker. He was on the Quillet podcast and he did a, a Ferguson documentary. But talking about how Black Lives Matter, ultra wokeism, there's a lot of people that are, you know, supposedly the people that are being helped by wokeism, you know, the minority cultures in America, that all this is supposed to be helping when really all it does is give white people a chance to go, OK, I'm great. I forgive myself. You know, look at me. I'm part of the solution. I think you're going to see over the next few years a pushback from the communities that were supposedly helping with all this fucking critical race bullshit training because they're going to get sick of being taught by white people what is good or bad, telling, you know, uh, white people telling them what exactly woke culture is and how we need to live our lives and what corporations should be saying. I think you're going to see a lot of people that are black and Latino and everything else say, fuck this. We're over it. Shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. Just knock it off. Go back to making, you know, content everybody can agree with and stop preaching. And I, and I, I honestly think that's where libertarians have an opportunity to get in there 
with some messaging and talk to those people as they're kind of changing their minds. Yeah, we, we had Scott Horton on a few episodes back and we had kind of the same message. You say, you know, that they, these people should be aligning and stop going, oh, this is us versus them. The, you know, this is the police should be accountable for this. You know, this is your chance to get together with everyone else. That, yeah. um, but for, you know, the media is just so powerful, the propaganda <laughs> that it's like everything's race warfare, class warfare, religious warfare, gender. It's like they just mm -hmm. we're constantly at odds with each other. And they, they do that mm -hmm. by design. I have no doubt in my mind. It, it keeps it keeps them turn. Everyone turns to the government for their solutions when they create problems. Well, precisely. And that's why the government creates those problems. Well, and that's why, you know, it's the same thing. The less power dynamic is based in those divisions. As soon as they lose, OK, we're championing this people or that people or, we're, or you know, uh, racism is a problem or rape on campus is a massive problem. As soon as they lose those tidbits, they lose the power, because when you start to look effectively at the platforms they run on, at the principles which they, they believe in, and also the concrete results, you get a horrible picture painted. I mean, I always use for my leftist friends, education and poverty as two examples of how you can win over people on the left to at least say, we need to look at libertarianism as we haven't tried this yet. Because you look at poverty, we spent more than any other time in history, the poverty level, the exact same. It's all, it's still the exact same poverty level. We talk mm -hmm. about education, spending more than almost any, any civilized nation on the planet. And we're still like, you know, bottom 10. So it's easy ways to show people that, you know, more money doesn't make sense that we're doing the, the tactics in what we're doing to reach people and help people are failing miserably and to throw bad money after bad money doesn't make sense. And not saying you're wrong to them necessarily, but just saying, can we at least have a discussion about a different way to approach this? Well, education and poverty, two great examples. Third one, war on drugs. I mean, yeah. you look at what's happened since the war on drugs. It's been, I would say, the the most complete disaster of government intervention that of anything. Um, mm -hmm. Because not only do you have all the money that's wasted, all the lives that have been, that have been ruined, and not just the people that have been thrown in jail, but the families, and then generationally, the generational impact from that, it's it's immeasurable to even try to figure that out. And then on top of that, you have, you know, the addiction skyrocketing. And now with the pandemic, of course, it's even more so out of control. So that's I mean, that's there has not been, I don't think, a greater failure in this country of government intervention than the drug war. Yeah, the, the drugs clearly have won. I think that data. Yes. Yeah. Drugs, <laughs> drugs have beat the shit out of uh, <laughs> out of the opposition. Yeah. Well, what do you guys think? Uh, I don't know if you saw that, you know, there was this bill to legalize or decriminalize marijuana federally. And Thomas Massey voted against it. So did you see that? Yeah, what were your thoughts on that? He voted against it because of tax reasons. But what are your guys' thoughts? I'd have to see his reasons because I usually respect Massey quite a bit. Yeah, but, I, um, I usually trust Massey. I feel like, or sorry, Mike, I didn't mean to cut you off. I trust Massey as much as I've trusted any elected official ever. Like to me, he's right up there with Ron Paul where it's like, this guy's one of us. You know, it's like when he voted against the CARES Act or he didn't, I don't think he voted against it what caused this giant stir was that he called everybody to do an in-person vote. And he had everybody right. from Chuck Schumer to Donald Trump saying that he was like the villain in Washington, DC. And it's like, the guy is not afraid to take a controversial stand if he has his reasons to do it. So I'd love to hear him actually elaborate on, on why that is, but I, I wouldn't think that Massey would hold it up. I'm surprised that a lot of Republicans voted against it in general. And yeah, I just, I don't really know what to make of it until I hear him go, you know, talk about it at length. Well, it's interesting considering that so many people like you, <laughs> we always give politicians beef for split, you know, flip-flopping, right? And sometimes for the right, sometimes for the wrong reasons. But you think if they're just political animals, you know, the lizard people that they are, they would just look at the simple polling 
Like if you're a Republican, you look at the polling nationwide, you know, virtually across the board, not just in big blue cities, that says something like 75% of people now support legalization of marijuana. And based on that alone, you'd think that people would follow suit with their votes. But I think only like five, excuse me, five GOP uh, uh, members of the House actually voted for the bill. And everybody else just kind of voted down party lines. Wow. It's very interesting. Yeah. You think you think by now it's like I, I just it's been decriminalized in so many states. It's like it's kind of how gay marriage came in. It's like it's yeah. just a matter of days until it's going to be federal, you know. Um, well, yeah, it's surprising. Yeah, you, you know don't what, really what, need. I mean, the unfortunate thing is they have this this bill that's not really necessary. All they have to do is just decriminalize it, but they're adding in the right. sales tax and then adding in a whole nother, you know, government bureaucracy to, uh, I mean, the, 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 the reason for it, you know, it's hard to argue with the reason. Yes. A lot of people have been wronged and they want to try to, you know, right those wrongs, but the government trying to make things right always just creates more wrongs. So <laughs> it's, it's, it sucks that people have, you know, spent all this time in prison for nonviolent drug crimes, but I don't think it makes any sense to take tax dollars from, you know, people just ba- doing consensual transactions in order to uh, give them money yeah, back. But again, it's a, it, this is and this is what I was arguing is I, I understand that was basically what Massey was saying too. But I side with Amash on this. Amash had the same concerns in that it's okay. We're taking tax laws out. It is creating bureaucracy that doesn't need to be there. But when you're this close to to removing a substance federally from a you know from the docket. People are no longer getting put in fucking prison for this, which there are, I mean, millions of people in prison, families ruined, futures destroyed. You come out, you've got felony record now. Getting rid of that is such a massive shift that from there on, I think you can now chip away at, you know, making making some deals on taxes or chipping away at the bureaucracy or getting more drugs. You know, you're on. not going to make any deals. That, that tax goes in. It only goes one way and that's up from there. I, well, I, I, I mean, yes, I agree. But it's still, I just... I have a problem holding up something like this at this point in time when I just think you have to say, look, you swallow your fucking castor oil in order to, you know, to get this down. You swallow the the bitter with the sweet, because if we don't pass it now, who knows how long it's going to be until it comes around again. It may be another 10 years. How many people are going to prison having their lives ruined in that time? Yeah, just from a humanistic perspective. Yeah, no, I'm completely with you. And this is one thing where the whole election thing, you know, how Trump is fighting ferociously to try to stay in office. And, you know, a lot of people are paying attention to that or they're dismissing it and they're just starting to plan around the Biden administration. And when Trump, when they announced when it looked like he was likely to lose, like the day after the election, where I'm like, okay, Biden's going to get elected here. I, the first thing I was saying is I was really anxious and excited to see what a lame duck Trump would do. Cause you know, to all of his supporters, well, you know, like the hardcore Trumpers, the, even like the QAnon guys, it's like, okay, if Trump is who you say he is, then he should gut the Pentagon, which he sort of did. He should yep. end the war in Afghanistan, uh, pardon Julian Assange and Ross Ulbricht and, uh, and, uh, Edward Snowden. Snowden. No. And you know, and oh, then I love it. You pardon Ulrich. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, give me, that'd a, be chubby. Give me a half right. chub under my desk here. I, I, I think there's a good chance, <laughs> a good chance he'll pardon Assange and uh Snowden, but I don't even think he that Trump knows who Ross Ulbricht is, and that's just no, we need to we need and, to get uh Kim Kardashian informed, and then I bet Hunter we, Biden we knows who Ross Ulbricht is. Hunter, Hunter Biden 100% knows, <laughs> <laughs> number one, number one fan. By all his drugs, I'm coughing so much. Ah. That's why I keep going on long rants, by the way. Because if I rant and and I don't breathe in between it, that's where I don't cough. (laughs) You're wondering why I keep like talking. (laughs) Damn. 
You see to start you gotta wear that damn mask. You'll be coughing so much. <laughs> I just carry around my podcasting uh, you know, pop filter. <laughs> People are like, What are you doing recording a podcast? I'm like, Yeah, about COVID. And I just pull it down, cough in their mouth and run away. <laughs> yeah, we we've <laughs> had um I've had a, a one scientist that uh, named Greg Morin, who I heard on Tom Woods show, and I invited him on a few episodes back, which was very, uh, very informative about the science behind masks. And then mm-hmm. we had a we had an epidemiologist on just on Sunday um, that Gene Epstein recommended, named uh, Knut Wikowski, and mm-hmm. that was one of the most like I told him I learned more in one hour talking to him about science than four years of public education in high oh, school. For sure. Like it was like yeah. such an like so much information about how this thing's actually spreading and how. We're doing everything wrong with the lockdowns and the, the mass mandates and uh, even the vaccine. He's saying it's completely unnecessary at this point. Um, yeah. But it's it, it, it kind of burdens me now to have this knowledge because it's like no one's going to listen to me. I tell friends and it's kind of like, OK, you're like Alex Jones. <laughs> well, the problem is now, like we were talking about earlier, you can tell people about it and they're going to go Google it. And you can't find anything on it because it's yeah. all uncensored. <laughs> right. You, and they're like, what's your source? And they're like, well, you know, there was a source, I promise. But YouTube deleted it. And they're like, okay, buddy. That's most use, ironic. Use DuckDuckGo. That's the secret. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's the most ironic and frustrating part for me is that everyone tells me to follow the science, listen to the experts. I'm oh, like, I've interviewed two in the last month. What have you done? Listen to yeah. Fauci on a two-minute clip on, on CNN. Like yep. I've literally sat an hour down and talked to two different scientists and said, oh, wow, I'm pretty sold that this is not the right way. Um, yeah. Well, it's, it's yeah. insane <laughs> to try to mandate, mandate that everybody gets these vaccines or something with a 99.89 you know, survival percentage anyway. Right. But I was curious to see uh, who here is actually going to get vaccinated. Any of you guys? I mean, I may eventually, if I have to fly somewhere, much to my chagrin, I would, uh, you know, kicking and screaming as long as I can away from that thing. So, yeah, me too. And what, what I'm worried about is I don't think it would be for a while, but I uh, think my company might uh, sort of halfway mandate it in a yeah. uh, in an encouraging way. But I'm, I'm not getting it. So that'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, that's the that's the that's what I'm afraid is going to happen. Is it not a mandate, but kind of like how the masks are enforced? All the big box stores, all right. the airlines, they're all going to make it. So it's like you just can't exist. You can't get your money out of your bank account until you do this. They might make it just, and you have to go join the Amish, maybe to, to survive. You yeah. know? No, exactly right, man. I mean, if that's the thing is, you know, people forget the power of banking. I mean, banking played a role in censorship. You know, they refused to work with certain people. They refused. You know, Patreon was tied in with like Visa or whatever, and and would no longer accept payments from certain people that were associated with you know, like the Alex Joneses of the world. So you do wonder if somebody's associated like us, we're a prominent libertarians, right? That are saying we don't like masks, we don't believe in it, we're not going to get vaccinated unless we have to. If banks will go, okay, well in that case, we don't want to do business with you. You know, we we have public record of you opposing this this public service, this public health service. So we're going to cut you off. And because we know the government's tied in and banks are all tied in with the social media aspect, much like China's social currency, right, which also dictates whether or not you get a bank loan and everything else. I do wonder if that's the next step that they're going to take as far as forcing people to comply. And as we've seen in 2020, the government likes to keep pushing the pedal as far as what can we get away with with people complying voluntarily with this crazy shit that we're making them do. We're shut. I mean, the economy's shut down. Schools are shut down. You got to wear a mask. It's just it's insane, and people have just gone along with it. Yeah, that's that's what's been so discouraging to me is that it's the the baseline keeps changing. Like, oh no, this is just normal now that you have to. You know, I have four little kids, and they just they don't know what a human face looks like when I go out in public. They don't know emotion. They don't know smiles. It's just blank robotic faces everywhere. 
Um, and like once again, I've, I've heard m- many different people talk about the science of that, just the psychological damage for young babies and children growing up in this world right now. Um, there's a lot of different areas we have no data on because this has never happened before. It would be really funny, though, if, you know, from all this mask wearing, little kids grew up to really just love people for who they are. You know, they don't even yeah. care about physical appearance. They just, it's like that, that fucking uh, 311 song or whatever, you know, yellow is the color of your energy. And you have these little fucking old generation, a little, uh, little hippie nerds that are just like, your aura looks green behind your mask. And I love that about you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and yeah, that's when I drown my daughter in a sack. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what's so crazy about the current moment that we're living in. It's like, if you would have told me about this two or three years ago, I would have never believed that tyranny could be this successfully privatized to the point where it's not even like, nobody really cares about the the government mandates, like whatever executive orders governors have, there's plenty of people resisting that it's the people that will shame their neighbors. And like, when you walk mm-hmm. into a grocery store, how it's like, if your mask is below your nose, they, they give you this evil glare and you know, it's, it's between the masks and then all of the uh, deplatforming that we see with tech. And it's like you look at the the biggest threats to freedom of speech or, you know, uh, banking or movement or any of these things, especially when the vaccine rolls out, uh, you know, if you need the vaccine to fly or to to do any number of things. It's like that that tyranny is not coming from the government. That is successfully no. private companies doing that to you. And it's oh, again, sure. is it your principles of private versus uh, you know, government, because that's not going to cut it. It's like, here are the good guys and the bad guys to put it in just a very rudimentary way. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Have you guys seen the movie demolition man? Long time. Like a Wesley, Wesley Snipes, uh, Sylvester Stallone movie. Uh, it does bring it to mind to me (laughs) a little bit because you've got this society where everybody's monitored and happy, joy, joy feelings. And you get demerit, you know, demerits for cursing or not being pleasant. And then they have this underground society that Dennis Leary runs where people are eating hamburgers and cursing and fucking and drinking and everything else. And it almost, you know, it's almost like, is that what our society is going to turn into uh, with the maskers versus the maskless, especially if big box retailers do start turning away people if they don't get vaccinated and you don't bring your vaccination card in, you know, because there are a certain amount of people that were 100% say, I'm not going to go along with it. And then we'll just be operating on a, a black market system, which I'm totally fine with. But it will make my life far less convenient. It, it, it might turn into that. Or maybe we just all move to Panama and become seasteaders, which uh, you can learn more about that by going to lionsofliberty.com slash ocean. <laughs> it's true. They they do look awesome. I don't know yeah, the we, money for we, one. but We just had on a, uh, a guest a couple weeks ago talking about they're doing seasteading in uh, Panama. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but right off the coast of the uh, the main city there. And they actually got a cruise ship, super cheap. And uh, they're bringing it in. You can buy a lot of cruise ships cheap right now, by the way. Right now. You get a cruise ship. You get a cruise ship. You get a cruise ship. (laughs) We're giving them away on lines of liberty. And it's going to be, you know, centered (laughs) around where, uh, you know, Bitcoin, um, every store, every business that is on the cruise ship has to accept Bitcoin. They can also accept dollars or whatever else. But uh, they're, you know, people can, can live on it. They can start businesses from it. And uh, they're going to bring in like a uh, a barge in order to have a, uh, a manufacturing area where people can manufacture things, you know, right there next to the cruise ship. And they have these like little seastead pods. They're going to start building out like a city around it. Pretty, uh, pretty crazy stuff. And yeah, it's happening it's, like it's happening very, very quickly. 
It sounds like some sort of science fiction novel, but it's, yeah, hey, I mean, 20, the, that's all 2020 is. The technology is there to do it. That's the crazy thing. It's like, you know, it, as far as that, the seasteading uh, dream of many libertarians, I mean, the technology is actually there to do it at this point. You know, growing food out there on a barge in the sun, you know, we've got hydroponic growers, not a problem. You can generate solar fuel. You know, you've got your uh, easy transport in and out. I don't know. I'm not going to go for it myself, but uh, I hope a lot of other people do. As long as, yeah. as long as I don't have to drink my own urine, like in Waterworld. Uh, that's the only attractive <laughs> part I see in it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really like that kind of outside the box thinking. And it's like right now, I still haven't given up on the idea of like the free state project when we're talking about, you know, what the possible uh, options are moving forward. It's like I'm still with, I, you know, I love Jeff Deist. And his case that he makes for decentralization, I think, is as sharp as any any strategy out there. It's like we're, we're not going to play ball in the national elections anytime soon. So it's like in the short term, what do we actually do? And it's like I think the, you know, invoking the 10th Amendment as much as possible and yep. having, you know, local officials that will not enforce top down orders. I think that's in the short run, like the only option we really have. But I love stuff like you just laid out the uh, the the cruise liner. And I'd yeah. be disappointed if they don't call it the free boat project. Cause that sounds like, you, a- <laughs> have you guys had on uh, it, our buddy, Michael Bolden from 10th amendment center, by the way, he's, no, no, uh, but I, I, I'd really awesome. love to talk to him. Oh, he's great. I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll shoot you his info after the show. It's he's, he's dynamite. Um, sure. You gotta be yeah, careful I mean, around Michael though. He's a huge racist according to the Southern massive Poverty Law. racist. Yeah. Southern Poverty Law Center has him on the list, or at least they oh. did have him on the list. No, he's, a, he's the sweetest man in the world. It's yeah. actually a ridiculous story he can tell you uh, and just how fucked the Southern Poverty Law Center is. Um, I, I also, you know, I, I do wonder how close we're getting or how much closer we're inching towards secession also, because at this point, you may legitimately have the two president scenario playing out when you've got Texas and you've got these 17, 18, you know, could be, you know, how many other states jumping on this lawsuit to say, we don't agree with the election results. We're suing to stop it. I wonder... You know, if we are getting close, if we can see it in the next couple of years where it gets to that that boiling point. I mean, I've never seen a division like this in my lifetime. I'm guessing you guys haven't. No, no. I mean, and, you know, if let's say by some miracle Trump stays in office, I think you would see secession out of the left where you would expect it to come from like Texas and these Republican states. If you would have asked yourself like from a couple of years ago. Yeah. But I mean, I really think that that California, like if Trump managed to stay in office, you actually would see some sort of exodus, which I think would be a great thing. It's like you'd see have, me exodus in California. I can guarantee you that much of that. Happens. Yeah, yeah. You'll but be it's, trapped in. They'll build a wall around it. So you can just leave. around me. <laughs> yeah, really. But I mean, yeah, it's at this point, it's like the country has such irreconcilable differences. It's like, guys, what yeah. other what other option do you have here? Like, we we hate each other. Like, what do you want to do? Yeah, it, it, it's such a broken yeah. marriage. I mean, there's there's no fixing it. Um, but yeah, so Brian, you're in California, you said. Yeah, I'm in Los Angeles. Well, actually, I'm just outside Los Angeles, but I've been here for like 18 years, and uh, yeah, man, it's tough. It's tricky. It's expensive. Yeah. It's it's uh, really aggravating to live here, but the weather is nice. So I can yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> hard so to leave. We're, we're in Illinois. So like we have like 80% as bad government as you and taxes, but, <laughs> oh, God, uh, yeah. but just worry worse extreme weather every single yeah. season. So. Illinois, Illinois is like California's like double a, like fate baseball team. Like we're, you know, Fritzker <laughs> wants to be Newsom really badly, but he's just not there yeah. yet. You know? Oh, he's so close. And uh, Lori Lightfoot in Chicago is, is just a little bit worse than, than Garcetti is here. But uh, but Garcetti's going to leapfrog her because he's apparently going to be on Biden's uh, inauguration team in some role. I don't even know what it is. 
Yeah, which is kind of cool to see is, well, it, in our state, Chicago runs the entire state. You know, I'm an hour and yeah. a half from there. I'm in a 3,000 person uh, little farm town out here. But, you know, the top down one giant city, we all one size fits all rules. And uh, there's a like an immense amount of pushback against Pritzker. It's like probably on my way to work, I probably pass hundreds of giant signs that say Pritzker sucks. And then it says yeah. the and in fine print, it says the life out of small businesses, but just Pritzker <laughs> sucks. Like they're, they're someone made a killing selling these things. Um, but it's been pretty refreshing that it, it just shows you the spirit that everyone is tired of these lockdowns and watching their towns get demolished. Yeah. Well, that's why it always drives me nuts when like items like the minimum wage come up <laughs> when you've got these fucking crazy people, these governors in big cities passing mandates as far as what a state has as their minimum wage. And you go, okay, in the city, it makes perfect sense. Well, not perfect sense, but in city it makes more sense because your cost of living's higher. At least, you know, you're you're getting more money in. Your your turnover of clientele is faster. You go into a small town. How the fuck does this policy make sense? You know, it's like mm-hmm. all these things make zero sense from a top down standpoint. Where you know maybe that's where the strategy the libertarians trying trying to employ. You know, winning localized elections. We should be having a lot more success in that. Because clearly there's a lot of opportunity out there for people to reach them who are getting decimated with small businesses right now, which, you know, minimal wage is killing them, mandatory regulations, X, Y, and Z are killing them, and just red tape. And to say, okay, locally, why are libertarians not dominating everything, especially during COVID? Well, I mean, I think that's the one place where libertarians are starting to make up little ground is in uh, local races. I'm in Pennsylvania, and I think we have the most elected local libertarians Uh, of course Mm -hmm. in statewide races we still get our asses kicked i think our highest uh candidate got like one percent in this uh this last election but i mean that's i i think brian and i talked about this a few weeks ago on ell that you know the libertarian and i think we did disagree a little bit on implementation but libertarian party going forward I mean, if you look at just what they did from an electoral standpoint to Trump, what the left did, what the cathedral did to, to get Trump out of power, there is no way in hell that they're ever going to get libertarians, ever going to allow libertarians to get any kind of significant power um, no. at the state or the federal <laughs> level. So getting active in your community, in politics, I, I think that's doable to win local office. Um, but I think more importantly, and we've talked about doing this with Lions of Liberty, is starting to get involved um, in communities and uh, helping businesses and, yeah. you know, starting to look at ways that we can actually put these ideas that all libertarians are so great at uh, philosophizing and talking about ideas. But, you know, actually putting these ideas to work and starting businesses yep. and helping, you know, other libertarians start businesses. So I think that is one of the ways forward. For sure. Well, guys, I know you guys are on a tight schedule and I really appreciate your time tonight. Uh, so real quick, if you just want to go ahead and give our listeners a plug where they can find you and learn more. Odie, tell them more so I don't cough in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are uh, the Lions of Liberty podcast. You can find us anywhere you find podcasts, three shows per week. Uh, our Monday show hosted by Mark Claire. It's our flagship program. Mark, uh, he's kind of shifted in his show a little bit for a while. It was interviewing like uh, libertarian leaders and talking philosophy. Now it's shifting a little bit towards entrepreneurship and um, sort of, uh, you know, people breaking outside the box and uh, doing things like the, that we just talked about in Panama with the seasteading um, being, being a, a digital nomad, I think is the word. Uh, and Brian's on Wednesday with L- electric Liberty land. Just uh, you can find insane rants there and uh, cursing and all that fun stuff. They're logic and based then, insane rants then based on very then, principled logic. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot, a lot of principles in the insanity. 
And every Friday is uh, Felony Friday, looking at the broken criminal justice system, bringing personal stories of people who have been through the justice system and have uh, overcome the, you know, the, the craziness and the abuse and everything that comes with it. Um, being sentenced to nonviolent drug crimes, things like that. Or, I mean, even outside of that, I've, I've interviewed people who have been, uh, you know, been on, who are on death row right now. Uh, so there's a kind of, you know, the, the whole gamut of uh, people in the system. Yeah. And I will say we have a lot of bonus content on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash lines of liberty. Uh, we'll do a lot of bonus shows there. Uh, do nothing, man. Degenerate gamblers, which is our gambling show, which is why we have to jump off this show to do that show. Uh, conspiracy <laughs> corners, and then um, and also Odie and I and Enrico uh, do a show called Bravo and Beer. So if any of you guys watch TLC shows or Bravo shows or any stupid reality TV shows that your wife or significant other has lured you into during COVID, we started a podcast where we just recap and rip these shows apart and and make very crude jokes about them so uh it's a lot of fun so check out <laughs> bravo and beer as well that's the other show I we have to record tonight you don't you don't have to watch the, the actual show on bravo <laughs> to enjoy the podcast it's uh it's fun without it yep that show uh, is is designed for people like me so i think i am going to check that out just for yeah the we figured there's a market out there of people that are just like i gotta watch <laughs> this shit again with you to keep my marriage intact all right all do you right. guys do 90 Day Fiance? Is that on there? Yes. We, uh, oh, yeah. we will be doing the All first right, episode of 90 Day Fiance Season 8 uh, as we're recording that tonight. <laughs> I just put so many babies through my wife that she doesn't have time to watch any shows. So <laughs> That's I'm, smart. Really, I'm in the safe. So <laughs> That's the way to do it. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks again. Really appreciate your Thank time. Thank you. Guys, it's All been right, a lot you. of fun. Appreciate having us on.